Hey, Real Nerds listeners, your favorite host, Ryan, here to remind you that social media is great. How great is it? There's many ways you can find the Real Nerds on social media. You can download us on iTunes. You can listen to us streaming on Stitcher Radio. You can call us 720-6Nerds5. Aw, man, our website is so cool. You can visit our website, realnerdspodcast.com. You want to leave some fan mail? Oh, that's so easy, realnerds at gmail.com. Twitter, we got it, at real underscore nerds. You can even like us on Facebook. Thank you so much, and hey, enjoy the show. Welcome to Real Nerds at Denver Comic-Con 2015. We hope you enjoy the following interview. Welcome to the Real Nerds Podcast. Live here on the Denver Comic-Con floor, I am joined by Sean. Sean, how are you doing today? Doing fantastic, sir. How are cool. you? Cool. I'm, I'm doing just fine. Is this your first Denver Comic-Con? This is. I've actually attended every year as an attendee, and uh, all previous years I've been downstairs, you know, helping out in the game area and whatnot, but, but uh, this first year, year on the main floor. Yeah. This year you have an ulterior motive. Yeah, so we, uh, <laughs> we're here selling all of our products this year. So what do you, uh, tell me a little bit about what you do. Oh, so uh, Mr. B Games is a company I started about two years ago. Cool. And we publish board games and card games, tabletop games. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. What kind of games do you do? Where can people find you? Uh, so, yeah, we sell through all the retailers. So we're through major distribution. Cool. Uh, so you can pick us up at any any uh, online shops or uh, friendly local game shops. Cool. And then uh, we've got uh, four titles. We released two games last year. Okay. Uh, we've released two games so far this year, and we've got a few more in queue. Cool. So uh, what kind of games? Are, are they all like deck building games? Are they uh, board games? What what, uh, what kind of games are you, you usually working on? Or are um, they so we're, the game? we're kind of a mixed bag. So uh, cool. like our first two titles that were released, we have a game called Alien Uprising, which cool. is uh, by Richard Lanius, who did uh, Arkham Horror. Oh, okay. Yeah, so yeah. he's the designer so, of that. So it is extremely robust and takes a long time to get through. You got it. So <laughs> it's about a two and a half hour game. It's a cooperative game, though. Yeah. Unlike, uh, you know, unlike Arkham. Uh, to an extent, I guess you can play Arkham Co-op, but yeah. uh, the idea is you're a crew of a crashed starship, you've okay. crashed on a planet, and then you have to work together to kind of run around and find all the parts that fall off the ship and fix it and get off the rock before the aliens come popping up out of the sand and tearing your ship apart. Cool. So it's a little starship troopery, kind of pitch black, kind of... That's neat. Kind of a, an idea. I and like then the, the second game we released after that is uh, Spurs. Okay. And it's a sandbox western. It's got uh, similarities to like how Red Dead Redemption might be. Sure. Would be my closest comparison. Yeah. Uh, but really kind of a do-anything-that-you-want world. Uh, you go rustling horses, uh, you know. Fighting a bear. Roping cattle, shooting bears, right. Yeah. You can do literally all that robbing banks. Cool. Uh, shooting other guys. You can get into gunfights, duels, where you're actually uh, pulling bullets out of a bag in real time and having real-time gunfights with other people. And oh, neat. It's a, it's a very, very cool game. It's uh, by far been our bestseller. We are on to a second reprint. Um, you know, we got a new expansion out for it, all that good stuff. So it's been one of our best. Uh, got really, really high praise marks in 2014, and we're super excited about it. Very and cool. then uh, this year, we're releasing two new ones. Okay. And we thought we were going on the circuit, Origins and Gen Con. Okay. These were our two for them, but Denver Comic Con is our debut for these. Cool. And the, the response has been awesome. We actually have the designer of Realm of Heroes here okay. uh, today. 
he's been running demos in the booth all all day long and you know we've had people in and out all day the game's been selling great way better than what we expected yeah you know, for the show and uh it's kind of an area control the king's dead and we're all trying to take over in the area uh, oh, cool. No luck, no dice rolling, no card playing. It's just straight strategy. Oh, cool! You know, my guys and your guys, and how do I move and what area do I take? And cool. Uh, really, really fun game. And then our, our other game is uh, Clockwork Kingdom, and that's kind of a worker placement. So, kind of like um, I'd equate it to like uh, Lords of Waterdeep. Might be Absolutely. the newest one that people know, right? So, yeah. I've got four or five actions. I have to. Uh, on my turn, I play one of those actions, then you play one, then I play one, then you play one. And, you know, the entire board has eight areas that are all phenomenal and fantastic, and I want to do them all, but I've only got five actions. Right. And, you know, tough choices. And then did your plan execute better than mine at the end, most victory points type. Right. Scenario. Very cool. So, um, yeah, those are the four we have currently out. And then uh, we did two on Kickstarter this year so far, and we have a couple more geared up to go later this year as well those are those are always my favorite ones because for me the less chance involved the 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 better chance i'll win to be completely honest with you exactly (laughs) with my group of friends like i for some reason i was always the guy who would rarely win unless it was a game where i had a lot more control over like there was this (laughs) running joke in my group of friends that like if i want to get like when we first got dominion and i won a couple games the first night we played and they were like this game must be broken. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's something wrong with this one if James can actually win this one. So that's cool. I like that. You know what's funny is I always have a funny Dominion story. Um, the first time I played Dominion was in prototype form. Okay. And uh, I played it with Donald X had designed, I don't know, hundreds of cards. Yeah. And from what I understand is the prototype we played with, we were playing with cards that were released years in advance, like right. years later. Yeah. So what would happen is I would play Dominion with my friends and somebody would be like, oh, check it out. We're going to play this with this new expansion and they'd bring this card. And I would go like, oh, well, that works like this. I've played this before. And everybody would look at me and they're like, no, you haven't. It came out last week. <laughs> right? Like, how could you have played it? And I'm right. like, I swear to you, I've played this guy. Yeah. And it never dawned on me for like two years. It's because I had played maybe a dozen games of it in the prototype. Yeah. That's <laughs> so cool. It's always funny. Like, you know, it was, it was a surreal though. You know, then the last expansion came out for it, and it was like, "Oh, what what happened?" You know, and, and so it's yeah. kind of a kind of an odd duck. Very fun. cool. No, that's neat. So so let's let's take a step back. When did when did you get into board games? Well, you know, what uh, what's your story there? Uh, you know, I got into Redbox D and D in 1980. Okay. I have a brother that's five years older than me, and uh, you know, he got D and D at age nine. I was five. We played D&D, and then at some point we got into Axis and Allies and Risk and board games and stuff like that. And, you know, at 12, 13, I started playing all the Game Master series, Shogun and uh, Fortress America, which is probably still one of my all-time favorites. And then it just kind of went from there and there and there. And uh, 2005, I self-published my own, my first game, which was a card game. Okay, cool. Uh, And I went down the circuit. I went to all the trade shows, and I hit up all the publishers and tried to get my game published. Yeah. It didn't work, and but I wound up uh, joining a demo team for Eagle Games, and I was, uh, you know, I would just show up at their booth and uh, run games all day, and you know they'd take care of you, kind of a thing. And I kind of, I literally am one of those guys that I walked the entire ladder. I worked every job along the way. Yeah. I got hired by them to uh, pack boxes in their warehouse and sweep the floors, right? And yeah. I did that for a while, and then that guy, the guy that was in charge of sales, didn't show up one day, and 
Next thing you know, you're and they in say, charge hey, of sales. Do sales, and then yeah, you do pretty good at that, and then you're head of sales, and then right, it, it literally just went down the line. And uh, about two years ago, I left that company after gotcha. seven years and started my own because cool. I just said, you know, uh, I really like the games that I'm doing, and I I just felt like there was nowhere else to go where I was. Yeah. And uh, so I was like, well, the only challenge left is to do it all on your own. So. Did you guys do any crowdfunding at all? Uh, at, when I was there, we did do crowdfunding prior. Uh, we had done a few campaigns here and there. I'd maybe run a dozen of them for them. And uh, pretty much all the campaigns I did were really successful. And it was kind of one of those we were back and forth on whether we were going to do it or not. Yeah. And I, I looked at crowdfunding as, wow, I could, I could, me as just a regular guy without a line of credit at a bank or whatever, I could, I could do this for a living. If I go to crowdfunding with, with one of my game ideas, like, I could make it. Like right. I could actually make this happen. And I left, and my first uh, crowdfunded game did over a hundred thousand bucks. Man! And it was awesome, right? And I was off to the races, and I do you know a couple a year, and every time they get bigger and bigger and bigger. And oh, that's I, cool. I love the idea of crowdfunding. Uh, I support games myself every month or two. Yeah. Uh, you know, I probably back two or three things a month because yeah. I feel like the community gave to me, I should give back to the community. Absolutely. You know, and it's it's interesting because one of the things that's so fantastic about it it's not just hey here's this cool opportunity for if i've got a good idea for me to actually get the money to do it it's also it's also encouraging to some degree because that way you know people actually want it right absolutely there is always this i was talking to a writer earlier today where there is this sort of um concern sometimes where you you're creating something new and there's this doubt in your mind where you're just like well is this really like i think this is cool but am i alone Oh, and, and especially if you're going to take a big step like that, if you're going to leave a job you have, throw a lot of your security out the window, um, if you know up front that there is an audience there, even if even if you do go like a Kickstarter route and you don't get funded, but you get mostly funded, like that takes away so much of the um, the I would I would think the fear that's there, where you go like, okay, I know exactly where the audience is, and honestly. Now I have their email address and I can get in touch with them, right? Yeah. Well, Most of the, them have already bought the product. I just have to go make it and I have to make it good now. Well, it's the doubt and the risk. So after that first game, I really considered, well, I'll just make the games I want to make, right? Right. Because right, I'm off, off to the races. I don't need Kickstarter now, right? Oh, yeah. But I went to a bank and said, here's what I did on my own. Here's what I sold. And the banks, like, laugh at me. They're like, we're not going to loan you money. And I'm right. like, wait a minute. I've been doing this for 10 years. Like, uh, right? Yeah. I'm not a brand new company. And, like, I was able to do this with crowdfunding. Like, Imagine if you guys were to loan me some money, like how much damage I could do. And they were just like, eh. So I was like, well, heck with that. I'll just keep crowdfunding, right? Because why wouldn't I? You know, and and every time I said they just keep going and going. And you're right. You you, you get three or four hundred people on a game and it just kind of does, you know, right up the run of the mill. You go, okay, I know. I I know how many to print for that demand. And I'm not going to be stuck with a warehouse full of games. But like uh, a prime example, we just did one about a month ago, and we set a goal for thirty thousand bucks, very modest goal. Right. We thought in our wildest dreams maybe we get fifty, sixty thousand. We funded three hundred and thirty thousand bucks. Holy shit! Five thousand three hundred backers. Wow. Biggest print run I've ever made in my life. Even when I worked at Eagle, bigger than anything I ever made over there. And you know what? That tells me, guess what? We're onto something here. Yeah, we've oh, got yeah. one. This might be our hit. Right? Yeah. this might be our dominion. Yeah, you know right. what I mean. And it was yeah. like, okay, because you only need one. You you got it. We but need... but it, when you see that reality hit, you go, okay, I'm gonna take everything we made in here and make as much of this game as we can, and yeah. we're gonna. That's what we're gonna put. Right? right. That that's the that's gonna be our big release next year. 
-hmm. you know, and we're so excited because we get to go into 2016 knowing we have a product that a lot of people really like, yeah. and it's super exciting. The game's called Post Human, and it's kind of a, a take on, it's not zombies, but it's kind of like a survival horror, I guess. Post-apocalyptic, like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I get you, yeah, and sure. Very unique, unlike any other board game I've really seen, and cool. uh, so excited to be a part of it. That's and, really neat. And the beauty is it was a game pitched to me as a company. It wasn't a game I designed or put out under my own. It was right. something somebody came to me and said, hey, will you help us publish this? And I, I read through the rules, I played it once, and I went, this is amazing. Yeah. And I had a post-apocalyptic game of my own, and I said, I'm just going to... Throw mine out. I'm going to throw mine yeah. out and sign yours. Yeah, because burn yours everything is to the ground. This yours is, is what I need. superior to mine, right? Yeah. That's what you got to do when, you, when you're going to go out there and start a business. You, yeah. know, you have to be subjective. And, Absolutely. Uh, it's fantastic. And we have another one going on Kickstarter, like currently, right now. It ends in four days. Oh, okay. And it's a uh, miniatures game. Big, epic, kind of a throwback to my history. It's like uh, it's like Axis and Allies and Shogun and all those big, giant games rolled into one, right? It's a big, giant fantasy game called Warquest. Okay. And it's got uh, hundreds of miniatures, big, giant board, and the idea is... Uh, I always equate it to, like, Might and Magic, those old Heroes of Might and Magic video games, yeah. meets The Dark Tower. If those two things were to make a game, that's, in my mind, what Warquest feels like. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm, a big, I'm a big 3DO fan, so oh, that sounds God. cool. I know. I, I love it. And, and the, the designer, for me, comes full circle. He was the original owner of Eagle Games that gave me my shot 10 years ago. No shit. Yeah. So, oh, wow. Again, you give back to the community, right? And you yeah. give back to people that gave you a break, and all of a sudden, boom. Yeah. Right, and so to me, that's what I love about this industry, this community. Coming to Comic Con, high fiving Spider Man's when you walk down the aisle. I mean, <laughs> right. this is like being home. I mean, this really is, you know. Yeah, it's it's it, you. You feel like you are surrounded by your people. Absolutely. Yeah, you it's know, really fun. And all people do, and everybody right. that came up to us today. Wow, these are a bunch of normal guys, right? right. We're not a bunch of corporates or a bunch of guys in suits and ties. Yeah. You know, and it, it's good like, to know, right? It's good to know that the products that I buy and support in nerd culture and geek culture come from geeks. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's oh, yeah. awesome. Absolutely. Because you don't want it to, not that Steve Jackson is this way, but like you, you, you assume if you've never met Steve Jackson, you would think like he's this guy in a suit somewhere who's like, if I can create the right game in a vat, <laughs> yeah. I will make all the money. Like, the next Munchkin is going to make me all the money in the world. Right. You know? Well, um, you cool want it thing. to just be some, some cool guys trying to make something neat. Agreed. And the cool thing about the Steve Jackson guys is I love the fact that I know they got some flack for running a Kickstarter or two, and I think it's phenomenal. Yeah. They, they ran games that they published 30 years ago and said, hey, is there really demand for this? Right. We don't know. We don't think so. Right. We were messing around. We were kids cutting our teeth on these games. Right. Right? I mean, they were literally trying to pioneer a genre. Why, why would somebody think that, you know, that Ogre would be popular again? And because, honestly, the, the market for games at the time was very different. Absolutely. Before you had that influx of European games um, and, and these, this, honestly, radically different way of thinking about... Um, you know how a victory is is you know achieved in a, in a board game. Um, like before all of that, those games were really simple. Oh yeah. You, know, you look back at it and like all the you compare any Steve Jackson games to like Race to the Galaxy or you know um, Seven Wonders or something like that, where there's a lot of complicated um, movement. You're like this is this is kind of baby stuff. Does anybody really want this? So it makes sense that they would go to their audience and say like hey do you actually want like do you care about this right you know 
You know, it's um, funny. Uh, we were going through. We just moved, and we were going through some old paperwork. Yeah. And I found a certificate that I won at the hacker tournament from Steve Jackson. Yeah. At a local event, I had won first place in in 1990. Wow. For playing one of their card games, and it, like that was before Catan. Catan was 95. Like, oh yeah. And you think about that, they were making games of that caliber. Yeah. Back then, you know, and you just go phenomenal yeah. and. I mean, there was a there was a point in time where it didn't matter what the companies put out, right? There were five, five, six companies making games, making four or five games a year, and I owned them all, right? You yeah. buy 15, 20 games a year, no problem. Now it's a it's a sea of games. You have so many choices. There's hundreds of companies you could buy games from, and you know, for me, it's just a it's an honor and a privilege to be able to do this for a living, you know. So I actually have when I was in uh, high school and early college, some of my friends who they make they they work in video games in the video game industry now, but. Um, one of them in particular was constantly like working on different versions of his own board games, and like we, I've I've tested a number of his games, and some of them were really kind of cool ideas. Um, you know, different different kind of maps and different kind of play styles, and all that. You know, he was trying to think outside of the box. Um, what would you say to somebody like that who is, is trying to create their own board games? How does how does somebody like that get into the industry? How does somebody like that get some exposure? Um, and what things, what trends should they be looking at? Uh, moving forward you know uh i'd say four or five years ago pre-kickstarter it was difficult you had to me you had to bang on every door you had to go to the conventions walk around shop shake hands right do do all that stuff now i think kickstarter makes it a little easier Uh, first time designer going out there and putting up their idea yeah is a huge thing uh my advice i always tell people is decide if you want to publish your game or if you want to design your game Mm. Because if you want to be a designer, there are so many companies out there now, especially with the emergence of Kickstarter, find somebody who can help you publish right. the game. So you don't have to do all that legwork and attend all these shows and, right, and, right. And, and do everything that comes with publishing the game. If you just want to make it and see your baby go to life, yeah. you know, find, find somebody that will help you. And there are plenty of publishers that will help you. That's that's what I tell people now is you know find your identity. Right. You know if you're really good at designing games, then you know design your games and have somebody else you know manufacture them for you. Right. Uh, if you're really good at making the idea and you just really love the the concept and you're a do-it-yourself kind of guy and you love going to shows and things like that, then then maybe consider you know going the Kickstarter route and self-publishing. It. Yeah. You know that's that's kind of that's kind of my thought anymore. Is it is it divided up in a way where like if somebody went to Kickstarter they could then come to you even afterwards and say like look I raised this money to do this now I need somebody who can like actually do some of this stuff is there an avenue there or should they come find a publisher before they even go to Kickstarter? Uh, you know a lot of people prefer if you do it ahead of time right so the company can help you. Sure. Uh, myself, if it's a good game, you know I'm willing to help anybody. Yeah. Uh, you know that's what I've been doing myself personally this last year is I've been. Uh, picking up studios you know friends of mine people that i know in the industry people that i've seen around that are you know they just come to me and, hey i'm having a really hard time doing something like this and i just say cool come with me uh i know a factory i'll get you a quote right it doesn't take me any much more time and uh as being a small company as a guy who used to work for a big company i always tell people safety in numbers yeah right if four or five of us band together and we all share containers to ship our products on right. we all we all save money yeah absolutely you know steve jackson not to not to always come back to them, but yep. Steve Jackson, oh, yeah. they can afford to bring over three or four full containers by themselves, right? Of just Munchkin, of yeah, of just Munchkin expansion. You know right? what I mean? Like it's, they take up two inches of the container, exactly. Like, but they fill up the entire box because yeah. they make so many and because they're so popular, right? Uh, you know, a guy like me that makes a couple thousand games, right? Hey, safety in numbers. 
if I got a couple thousand games and you got a couple and he's got a couple, we could we could fill up one container together, yeah, you know, or two together, and then everybody saves a little bit of money. Uh, that's that's what I do. So I'm I'm always there to help anybody, but. Uh, you know, I, I could see it go both ways. If you had a big success and then you decided after your Kickstarter, hey, I don't, I don't want to do this stuff. I, I think you could still shop around and find a publisher. Gotcha. I think there's guys out there that would help you. I would. So yeah. if you're out there and you, and <laughs> you made a bunch, ad. yeah, if you're out there and you made a bunch of money on Kickstarter and you want some help, call me. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Uh, I, have, I have one more interesting question, just that sure. came across my mind here. You know, for a while now, I, I've seen a lot of some of what I, I guess I would call classic modern board games, so your your Catans, your Carcassons, those those get um, like digital versions or, or mini game, you know, Xbox ver- Xbox versions. Sure. Um, what is that? What does that industry look like right now? Is it? It's it's a thing that I always thought was kind of awesome because you know you look at how many people are playing games like Hearthstone or stuff like that, where you know if I'm sitting around my house, I don't have any, and I want to play a game, but I don't have anybody to go play with, like a physical version. Um, I would, of course, always rather if if I got my friends together. It's more fun for the social aspect to sit and play it. Um, Absolutely. Is that getting more pervasive in the industry? Are there a lot of people working on it, or are there some really tough hurdles in the, in between? The industry that you're in, and getting the games, the video game industry, to actually understand what the value that is. I, I think there's hurdles just because the the app made it accessible, but the programming portion is, is such a beast that you know what I mean. The, yeah. the cost it's it's a barrier for sure. Oh, yeah, uh, it makes sense for Ticket to Ride to do sure. an app, right? Everybody plays it. They've sold what three, four million copies or something like that as right. what's on their box now. Right. Uh, that's that's a pretty accessible thing, and for a company of their size, I mean, not that they're a big company, but they've sold so many units. You know, that's that's a that's an easy tool for them to go make. Yeah. For a small guy, whew, that's that's a tough one. Right. Um, now, I've seen a lot of companies are actually running Kickstarter campaigns to kickstart for their app, which cool. I think is kind of clever, right? Yeah. Because it, you, like you said, you gauge interest. Is there a reason for me to go? Buy a programmer, hire a programmer to, to program this, you know. Uh, and if, if lots of people are saying yes, there is, then you 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 hire a guy and you go do it, right? Right. Uh, but for me, I haven't really deviled in the uh, the arena of apps just yet. Uh, yeah. I'm looking into it uh, with our post-human game. Ironically enough, those guys are app programmers that made the board game to help them refine the app, so right. the app would be rock solid. And they came to me because they said, we don't know anything about board games. Help us with our board game. Cool. So I was like, that's great. And so I get the benefit of they'll eventually do an app for the game. Right. So I'll have the board game version and they'll have the app. Cool. So we'll get the cross promotion between each other. And it was a great partnership. And I do hope to continue to make more and more apps with them. Cool. Uh, or, you know, or find another studio or, or in, ju- in conjunction with two other studios where uh, we can do more digital stuff. Yeah. Because uh, I think digital is important. I think everybody's got an iPad or a Kindle now or even a phone that uh, can, can do that. I mean, I downloaded the Star Realms one, right, yeah. on my phone, and it's, you know, you can ride on a plane and play a couple of hands of Star Realms, and it's a blast. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's very particular to the game, right? Like, you, your, your Lords of Waterdeep or your, um, your Pathfinders or some of those games are probably not games that I think a lot of people are going to play digital versions of, but, you know, some of the ones where you can pick them up and play a 20-minute game... Makes a lot of sense. Right. Yeah. Well, or if they were hot-seated, maybe, right, on a Kindle or an iPad, True. you could pass it oh, around. Oh, yeah. That's not But, but to, to your point, I, as a solo play at Lords of Waterdeep, probably wouldn't be so much oh, yeah. fun, right? right? I mean, great game, great social game, but right. I, but agreed. 
yeah, so I mean, that's kind of my take on it is I think there's so much potential in our industry. Cool. And uh, especially when you see the way comic books have exploded yeah. over the last decade, you know, you go like, that could happen in games. And oh, hell yeah. Man, would I love uh, to be honestly, a part of that. Like, in, at least in my world, I feel like it is happening in games, right? Like, you, uh, you honestly, you go back to the Steve Jackson thing. Yeah. When, I was, when I was in middle school and high school and I was playing D&D and I was going to my local game shop, the shelves were just covered in Steve Jackson games, sure. right? There was Illuminati and there was Munchkin and that's what you played. Right. And then, you know, in the early 2000s, you know, you started getting a lot of the, you got your Catans coming in, you know, Carcassonne was out there, but I got exposed to it. And as those started to take off, all of a sudden, yeah, you get your Puerto Ricos and your Ticket to Rides and, like, all of these German games that just started blowing up. And you're like, oh, you know. Now, you can go to those game shops and, like, half of those games you pick up might not even be in English. Like, it's yeah. crazy, you know. It's true. I, I think it is blowing up quite a bit. Oh, no, um, I agree. I yeah. mean, I just from the from the media side, like, from the cross. Oh, I see what you're saying. Right? Yeah. Uh, I think because of the way comic books have kind of transcended over into movies yes. and all that stuff. Yes. You know, and I, and, and I think everything kind of television, movie, film. Uh, I think, you know, you might be seeing that in games. And actually, Fantasy Flight, in my opinion, is kind of bridging that gap with they're bringing over Game of Thrones and Star Wars, right? right. So now they're bringing out Star Wars games that are obviously going to tie to the new movies and right. stuff like that. So so there, there's always the licensed possibilities and potentials out there, too. Yeah. I mean, the real bridge is when you go from, you know, having nerds play those games to having... Like, like when my mom plays Lords of Waterdeep, that will be like a watershed <laughs> event in the board gaming oh, world, yeah. right? Like when my mom or like, you know, people who would normally, you know, she gets on a plane, she plays gin, yeah. you know? Like when those people start playing these complicated board games that are very, very different, um, that's when you're going to start seeing the, the whole thing just blow up. I know? had that moment last Christmas, right? Yeah. Uh, my sister-in-law and my brother-in-law, who are not gamers, don't play stuff. They look at me as the resident nerd, right? They're like, right. oh, our nerdy brother that does, you know, G.I. Joe and comic book games, right? <laughs> <laughs> Which is hilarious because I don't right. do either, but you know, like, right. they, but they try, they right? They, yeah. and, and they say, we went to this thing and we, we uh, hollow, you know, a uh, holiday party, right? And yeah. we had a blast and we played this game and it was like super offensive with cards. And the second they said it, I'm like, they played Cards Against Humanity. Yeah. And to me, I go, hey, like the fact that... It's totally your world, yeah. But, but really, at the end of the day, the fact that a bunch of normal non-gamers were at a holiday party, having a couple glasses of wine, and for entertainment, they decided to play a fun little word game. Yep. You go, that's all it takes, right? Yep. It's yep. the same thing as somebody going to see the Avengers in the movie theater, right? Yeah. Might not be a comic book fan, but you got went to see the movie, and it was entertaining, and then... Maybe you step foot in the comic book shop and say, eh, I'd like to buy the new Captain America graphic novel. Because it's not as corny as buying a comic book. Right. Right? Oh, yeah. And, and so to oh, me, yeah. it just opens up the door to the world, you know? 100%. You know, and I love this. You walk around on the show floor and you see the extreme people and you see the average everyday people. Like yeah. moms walking with their kids. And their kids are all in costume and the mom is just walking normal in a normal dress. She's has no interest in this culture, yeah. but her four-year-old, her six-year-old, and her 12-year-old are all having a blast dressed up as Superman, so they all come anyway. And to me, that that makes means we've all made it, really, yeah. you know, at the end of the day. This isn't, this isn't really related, but earlier today I saw a woman who was dressed up as Gamora and her, I believe, daughter was dressed up as Rocket Raccoon. <laughs> oh, it was the most amazing Rocket Raccoon anyone could ever be. Ooh, that's oh, fantastic. it was so good. It was so cool. The best story I saw from here is in the very far back... Uh, they have uh, like all the uh, clubs are there, you know, yeah. with all their uh, 
real real life props. Yeah, the 501 and the yeah. Raccoon Cities and the yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And so they had a, a gun from Hoth. Oh, cool! Right, and one of the Star Wars props. And this little kid, I mean, he couldn't have been three feet tall, right? He reaches up to this giant turret, right, with his hands way above his head, and he grabs this turret and pulls it down so he could shoot it. And he pulls the little triggers, and the thing lights up and goes, right, makes all this noise. Yeah. And at the moment he did that, the Spider-Man guy was walking by, and just guy had the quickest wit, right? He hears the, this kid pull the gun in the tower, and he takes a flop. <laughs> in front of all these people in the walkway on the concrete, he just falls down, and this little kid's jaw drops because he thinks he just shot Spider-Man with the gun from Hoth. And oh. I was like, I was there to witness only, this. I only literally stopped. I know, and I'm like, yeah. only a Comic-Con, and I was here. I was there for that. <laughs> and the guy funny. laid there. It wasn't like, and then he got up like, ha-ha. He laid there for a good minute. Right. And He's people like, were I'm laughing. I'm selling this one. And all of us were like, did, did what, did that just happen? <laughs> maybe Spider-Man's really dead. Maybe, maybe it's, it's over. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's too cool. I well, love when those worlds can collapse. <laughs> absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming uh, on the show, Sean. This is, it sounds me. really interesting. Really quick, one more time. Oh. How do people find you? How can they be supportive? Where do we go? Uh, www.mrbgames.com cool. is my website, and it has all my information. You can sign up for mailing lists to learn about any of our games or products. There's a product page on every single one of the games that we make. Uh, usually on the front page, there's a link to whatever Kickstarter we're working on at the time. And, Very cool. Uh, yeah, that's that's the best way to find us. Sweet. Well, thanks for coming and hanging out with thanks us. Thanks for having it's me, been man. Fun. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this exclusive Real Nerds interview at Denver Comic-Con 2015, and we'll see you next year. Visit our website, realnerdspodcast.com. You can tweet us at real underscore nerds. You can email us even, realnerds at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook. Hey, stream us on Stitcher. You want to call us? 720-6Nerds5. And download us on iTunes. Just search Real Nerds. Thank you, Joe Kempter, for the wonderful voiceover, and also Spark Mandrill for the wonderful late-night jazz-smooth sounds of movies. You can find them on SoundCloud. This has been a Nebulous Visions production.